0: Hello, my name's Forrest, Forrest Gump. Do you want a chocolate? I could eat about a million and a half of these. My mom always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Those must be comfortable shoes. I bet you could walk all day in shoes like that and not feel a thing. I wish I had shoes like that.
1: My feet hurt.
0: Mom always said it. there's an awful lot you can tell about a person by their shoes. Where they gone, where they been? I've worn lots of shoes. I bet if I think about it real hard, I could remember my first pair of shoes. Mama said they'd take me anywhere.
1: All right, I love Forrest Gump. One of my favorite movies. Um, so my name is Kimber Steph, and I am going to be a missionary to India. I leave in January, which is super exciting. Um, I was also Pastor Keith's daughter. He's my mom always. Here, love you, first. Um, I graduated from Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, with a degree in organizational leadership, and it's so like business and psychology mixed together. And in India, we're going to be starting businesses in cities that have no Christians, no missionaries, um, with the purpose of sharing the Lord with them. Um, super exciting. So, Pastor Josh and Pastor Joy had me come up here, and I'm so honored to be here. And they were talking about how we're doing stupid as a stupid does with Forrest Gump mixing it with Proverbs. I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? I've never had to preach in a series before. So I started thinking I love that clip from Forrest Gump because life is like a box of chocolates. You have no idea what you're going to get. And that proves true in my own life, and the lives of everybody that I know. Um, We can plan for what we want, but you never know if it's going to be caramel or really gross on the inside of that chocolate piece that you buy next. Um... So as I started thinking about chocolates and Forrest Gump and Proverbs and all of that together, um, I thought about dreams and about waiting seasons and how in our lives we all have these ideas that come to us or these passions that God's given us, and before they can happen, there's always some sort of waiting season. And as I started thinking about that, um, I started thinking about animals and how, in uh, pregnancy. And so bear with me here. It's going to be a little strange at first, but you'll come with me. Um... I want you to think about rabbits. So rabbits are known for having tons of babies. And I looked up the period for how long a rabbit is pregnant, and it's 30 days, 30 to 35 days from being pregnant. And there are some dreams that God gives us that are like rabbit babies, whereas you get the dream, and it's not long, maybe a month or so, before that dream comes true. Or you have a passion, and you want to do something, and you start planning it, and it's not long before it happens. But all dreams and passions aren't like that. Um, there are some that are like elephant dreams. And elephants are pregnant for two years before they have their baby. So I did the math, and a rabbit could have 20 litters before an elephant has one baby. And there are some dreams that God gives us that are so big that it takes lots of time to cultivate and to grow, but whenever it's born, it's huge, and it's something that's big, and a community raises it. Um, So there are some dreams that God gives you that are going to take a little bit more time. Um, Now, my favorite animal is a shark, so I had to look up facts about sharks having babies. And I was very interested to find out that whenever sharks have their babies, um, they lose their appetite for a few hours. Because once they have those kids and they've waited a couple hours, their appetite comes back and they will eat their babies if their babies are not far gone. Um, So how does that relate with this? And... I was thinking, and I realized there are some dreams that God gives you that your job is just to birth it, but not to raise it. And if you stuck around, you could kill it. Um, And so there are dreams that God gives you that if you kept your hands in them, you would destroy it. And so that's to give to other people. And lastly, we have human babies because we're all human. So I had to throw that one in there. And I was thinking about how when a woman has a baby, that's a life dream. And whether you want it or you don't want it, you're going to be stuck with it. And that baby is going to grow. And there are different seasons where it's, you're like pouring so much time and energy into it. And then there are seasons where you kind of step back and you let it do its own thing. But it's always something that follows you in every season of your life. So we all have dreams, but with each dream, there is a waiting season. And that waiting season can vary from 30 days. It can vary from a week to years that you're waiting for something to happen so proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6 this is a proverb that people quote a lot and it's trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight and so this is so true for dreams in that we trust the lord with our dreams and we believe that as we submit those to him he'll make the path straight that we can't do on our own we need his strength for it so as I was thinking about dreams and waiting seasons, I started thinking of Bible stories um, of people who have waited. And it seems like everybody in the Bible has had some sort of waiting season for something that God called them to. But the one I want to focus on today is Abraham and Sarah, and they're waiting for the birth of their child. So in the beginning of the story, their names are going to be Abram and Sarai, and then later on they change. So if I mix it up, bear with me. It's a little bit confusing. They're kind of similar. So if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12... Um, Now the story that I'm going to share goes over a lot of chapters and rather than spending an hour reading um, I'm going to summarize different parts and we'll read different chunks. So we're kind of going to skip around a little bit So in Genesis chapter 12, there is a man named Terah who has a son named Abram And they have this family and God calls them to move to a land called Canaan And so along the journey They go to a place called Haran and they settle there and they don't finish going to Canaan They just settle there they raise their children, they raise their sheep, their goats, they build their tents, um, they cultivate their land. And so then in um, chapter 12, God calls Abram, the son of Haran, to move on. Um, And he says, Abram, I'm calling you to move, um, but I'm not gonna tell you where. So just to think about this in our perspective, if you were to go home and tell your spouse or tell your kids or tell your parents, hey, God told me to move, I sold the house, I quit my job, I packed everything in my car, but I don't know where I'm going, I just know God's going to tell me. People would think you're kind of crazy. But at least in America, I know if I just drive to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'm sure I can at least find a fast food job or something. I can find an apartment, I can get a loan. We're talking back in the day when Abraham had to pack his sheep, pack his goats, and hope that there was going to be some desert land he could cultivate wherever it was that God was taking him. But Abraham was a man of faith, and he picked up his stuff, And he went on that journey. So that's Genesis chapter 12. So he makes his way super crazy. Then once he is on his journey, he's 75 years old when this happens also, which is crazy. And um, he passes through the land of Canaan, which is the land that his father was called to. And on his journey through, he stops there and he builds an altar to the Lord. And God promises him that he will receive this land one day. So this is the land that his father was supposed to journey to. But now Abram, as a grown man is journeying through it. Um, So in the next couple chapters, life happens, life moves on, different things happen. We skip all the way to Genesis chapter 15, and that's the first passage I want to read. So it's um, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, Abraham has all this land. He's been following the promises of the Lord and trusting where he takes him, yet he has no children. So how can you give your land to your child if you don't have a child? So Abraham's childless. That's a dream that they've always had. It's just never happened. And God gave Abraham this promise um, that he would have a children. At this point, Abraham's like 85, 86 years old. I don't know how many 85, 86-year-olds that you know who have kids, but that's kind of a crazy, out-of-the-box dream, but Abraham believes it. Um, So... We continue on with life. Ten years go by. Abram and Sarah still have no children. So they're in their 90s, still with no kids. And at this point, they say, You know what? This is a great promise from the Lord. We want a baby, but He's not doing it, so we're going we're to help Him out. So this situation is messed up. Sarah, or Sarai at this time, decides that she's going to have her maidservant sleep with her husband, and she'll just take the baby when it's born. Now, That's baby mama drama, like I don't even know. I (laughs) do not know how they thought this would work, but they did, they had this baby. (laughs) And for the next 13 years, it was messed up. Um, There was crazy issues between Sarah and Hagar. Um, Abram was favoring the son, but it made Sarah jealous and she wanted her own kid, but now her maidservant can have a kid and she couldn't have a kid. Just everything was just a mess. which we knew it would be. So we turn to Genesis chapter 17. And this is after all this chaos is happening. I can just imagine what Abram was thinking at this point. Like, why did I do that? That's messed up. Um, So Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and, the kings, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, da, he keeps going. We skip to verse 15. And he says, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will, be, I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come to her. Abram fell face down and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a children at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael, the son of his maidservant, uh, might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, son of his maidservant, I have heard you, and I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So, now Abram's really old. He has a 13-year-old boy by his maidservant. And God comes and speaks to him and reestablishes that promise. I don't know about you, but I felt really repetitive saying over and over again, you will have generations, this will be oppressing. And it just kept going on and on. God kept saying it over and over and over to confirm in his mind, I'm going to give you a kid, Abraham. Don't lose faith. Um, So, Abraham hears this word. He goes home. And I don't know how much time it doesn't say goes by. And three visitors start walking up to Abraham's house. And they believe that one of these was the Lord incarnation. Abraham could see the Lord on them. So he sees them coming, and he tells his wife, go make some food. We're going to invite these guys in. We're gonna, I want to be in this presence of these people. Um, they're coming over. So the people come over, and um, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, Abraham, well, here it goes. The guys come, and they're talking to Abraham, and they say, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son, which Abraham already heard. So the guys were repeating it now in verbal form. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well-advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. No kidding. Um, so Sarah laughed. <laughs> so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out, my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have this child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at this appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yeah, you did. Um, that's why I was like reading Like, girl, we heard you. Everyone heard you laugh. Don't try. So Sarah at this point is laughing. And I want to take a minute to, to take a note here that Sarah laughed like she would never heard it. And 25 years ago, I'm sure Abraham told her we're going to have a kid, but after Abraham heard this restated word of God, I don't it seems like he didn't even tell her. And he then whenever she hears it for the first time, rather than able to say in faith, yes, I believe that, she's laughing in disbelief, um, which is very interesting to me. We'll come back to that. Um, so the next year of life, Sarah gets pregnant, crazy stuff happens. We move along in our chat. in our book, we get to Genesis 21. They have their baby boy, and verse 6 says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me, which we all just did. And she added, Who would have said to Ab- who would have said to Abraham and Sarah? To- sorry. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Um, so that's a super cool story. I love it. It's a story that I've always heard people speak on, and they can go so many different routes with it. Um, But there are some takeaways that I think that we can take in our um, sermon about waiting today. And the first thing is, don't settle in Haran. Um, Abram's father settled instead of journeying to Canaan. And when Abram grew up, God did have him move, and that's an awesome thing that he got to journey in that step of faith of moving. But that was a job that God had given his dad that he didn't do. And when God gives you a calling or he calls you to do something or go somewhere, um, even if it seems crazy, it's still going to happen. God is faithful and he will have those things fulfilled. But that's going to affect you and your future generations if you don't step out in faith and do it. Um, when we don't walk in the promises of God or in our callings, it's not just affecting you, but it's affecting the people, it's affecting your children, your grandchildren, and it's affecting the people that they would have met in that time that they would have been there. Um, so don't settle. Two, um, in the waiting season, resist the temptation to create your own solution. Um, Those waiting seasons can be 30 days, and in those 30 days, it can be really easy. Like, oh, I know God will take care of it. But when you're hitting two years, 10 years, 15 years, that waiting season gets really hard. And you're like, God, maybe I should just do this on my own. Can I help you out a little bit? I know that you're busy up there. There's a whole lot of people. I have some great ideas. Why don't I just take over for a minute, and then you can carry it on after that. Um, But that does not work. You get crazy baby mama drama. So let's not do that. Um, So don't settle for second best when God has already promised you something that's so big. Um, Three, don't stay silent about your dreams and promises when the Lord begins to speak again. So there is value in letting something stir within your spirit as God's speaking it. And during those incubation times, you know, when people are pregnant and waiting, you don't talk about it every single day to every single person. But when that baby kicks, you want to tell somebody. And whenever you find out the gender, you want to tell somebody. And when that dream within you begins to stir again and you're beginning to feel the movements again, speak and tell people. Otherwise, like Abraham did with Sarah, you're not giving people the opportunity to step out in faith with you. And you're the only person on your faith journey. Um, So step out in faith and share with those around you. Um, Keep that hope alive. And also, um, just thinking, like, in my own life, there have been seasons where I know that God has called something, but I just can't feel him or I can't. Um, feel him for myself, but when I'm around other people who are talking about what God is doing in their life, it gives me the opportunity to say, even though I can't feel it, I can still see God moving, and I still know he's faithful, and he's still doing things, so even though my miracle didn't happen, he is still a God of miracles because he's doing that, even though I'm not finding financial breakthrough at the moment, he's still got a financial breakthrough because they found it there, even though my dream isn't coming true, I know he's still a dream fulfiller because I see that dream coming true for someone else, so you're not in this for yourself, it's community. So don't keep those dreams and those visions and those awesome things that God's doing to yourself. You have to share them with others. Um, The next one is waiting seasons can cause you to laugh in disbelief. But when fulfillment happens, you will laugh with joy. Um, So I love the story of how Sarah laughed when she heard it. But then when she had Isaac, she laughed with joy. And so sometimes, and I'm guilty of it too, where People talk about, so I was supposed to leave for India last January. Now it's this January, so I had the right month, just the wrong year. Um, it's just something I've laughed about. And there have been times where they'll say, okay, you're going to leave in this month. And I just laugh. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, what's going to happen. Um, and it's disbelief. But now that it's happening, there's like a laughter of joy as it's happening. And so even whenever you have those seasons where all you can do is laugh in disbelief that this is going to happen... Know that when that promise is fulfilled, there will be laughter, but it will be a laughter of joy. Um, and it's such a fulfilling thing to be able to see something happen after so many years of waiting. Um, so those are takeaways from the story, but what are things that each of us in our own lives wait for? Um, and one thing that we wait for is our future dreams. So I talked a little, told you a little bit about India. Um, I was called to missions, or I felt the call to move overseas at 10 years old. I'm 23. So, yes, I'm young, but I've been waiting for this for 13 years. And it has its ups and flows where I'm like, I don't know if I should do this. This is kind of crazy. And then the moments where it becomes reestablished again. And it's been a long journey. And three years ago, God spoke clearly that I was called to India. And at that point, I started dreaming about it, having um, ideas and what I wanted to do there. And then two Januarys ago, so two years ago, I got approved to move on the mission field. And I was like... It's going to be nine months at most before I'm there. Um, Super all in, super excited, got rid of a bunch of stuff, and now it's two years later. And I'm finally getting to go, but it was two years of waiting. And in those times, I had moments where I doubted God, where I said, are you even calling me anymore? Or was this just like a joke that you're playing on me? Were you just trying to see if I would go, but you're going to take me somewhere else? Um, But God has been faithful in all of it. And as I look back on those last two years of what God has done in my life, I see friends who got saved. I see moments with my family that I got to have that I wouldn't have otherwise. I see people that I've met. Um, I see God's fingerprints over all of it. I see things that he's doing in the future that I wouldn't get to be a part of if I had left earlier. And it's things that in the waiting season, it made no sense. But in the small bit of hindsight that I have so far, I can see God's hands over all of it. And so knowing that our future dreams... It's his timing, not ours. Um, so there are other things we wait for, maybe business ideas, um, things that God has stirred in your spirit that you, you see a need and you know there needs to be a solution, and God's given you the vision for it, but it's not the time yet. And you're waiting for that ideas to cultivate, and you're, like, stirring it up, and you're taking pictures of things that you want to do in your future business, and you're talking about it, and you're brainstorming, but it's not here yet. It's all just ideas. Those are things we wait for. Um, maybe different needs that God's placed on your heart. So maybe you have a heart for girls in sex trafficking or for kids who lack parents or people with depression or all these different areas that God can burden you with. It doesn't have to be big things. It can be small things. too little needs that you see um, that God has placed on your heart. So side note, this is something really cool I saw on Facebook one time. Um, It was a teacher who he was um, teaching, I was like third grade, and he saw a bunch of little boys who didn't have dads. And so he decided to start, like, a young men's club. And in this club, all the boys would come, and he would teach them how to tie ties and how to be a gentleman and to open doors and different things like that because he saw a need that God placed in him, so he decided to meet it. So I don't know. There are practical ways to start doing things if you feel like God's called you to mentorship. It's stepping out and saying, okay, well, who's in my life that I can start mentoring now? Um, who has God already placed here? So maybe your dream is to have a whole organization. Well, start small. Who do you have in your in your place right now? And God will begin to grow you to be able to do something larger. Um, things we wait for, relationships, waiting to see, um, will you get married? Who will it be? What will it look like? Um, families to be restored. You have members in your family who it's just broken and you haven't seen in years or there's resentment or anger or, um, diff- grudges that are being held and praying for God to restore it, um, the broken areas. Um, the next one is freedoms from areas we struggle in. And this is one um, that is very hard because oftentimes we feel like, well, God, if I brought this to you at the altar, shouldn't it just be taken care of? Shouldn't I be able to move on? Now, like, I, I acknowledged it. I brought it before you. Why am I still struggling with this? Um, and so I want to bring us to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um Second um, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And it says, to, this is Paul speaking. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then he is strong. So this passage right here, Paul had some sort of issue that he kept continually bringing to the Lord, and the Lord didn't take it away. And I wrestled with this because I'm like, God, that just does not make sense to me. If people are praying for freedom from this, why would they still have problems with it? Um, and those problems that you have that you're not finding complete freedom in um sometimes that happens because i think especially as americans we're so independent and when we're good we move on when we're good we move on and we could get to these complexes where we think we can do on our own but those weaknesses remind us that we can't do it on our own and they're not weaknesses that say oh you know what god hasn't taken this from me it's my excuse i am what i am i can i just fall in this area every time it's no big deal god didn't take it away from me it's my right to sin no that weakness is an area in your life that God wants to continually use to remind you that you need him and that his power is made perfect in those weaknesses. Um, so we don't use it as an excuse for sin. We use it as a reminder to come back to the Lord. And in those times whenever you're doing great and it pops back up again, it's a reminder that I am here because of the Lord's strength, not my own. And in those times of hardships, when it comes up again, it's I'm not doing this on my own. I have the Lord's strength to, to carry me through this. Um so we don't look at the weaknesses as hindrances or as curses from the Lord that he just won't bring healing in. We look at them as his ways of reminding us that we need him. Um, and then um, when I was thinking about this, I was led to a verse in Psalms because um, I was praying about this, and I'm like, God, I just don't like having weaknesses, and I don't want it to be a stronghold that the enemy can always use. And a verse came to my mind one morning, and I looked it up, and I love this verse. It's Psalms 84:11. It says, "For the Lord, it, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor; no good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless." So I started thinking about this verse. And I went all English class on it, where you overanalyze. Um, and so I was thinking about the Lord is a sun. So what does the sun do? It brings warmth. It brings comfort. It brings security. Um, I, I live in Florida. I love sunshine. When you go outside and you're cold and you just feel the heat coming on you. And the Lord is like that in those moments when we're feeling depressed or alone. The Lord is our son. He is our comforter. He brings that warmth back to us. And he is our shield. So what does the shield do? The shield guards those areas in your armor that you're weak in. And so... My weaknesses are made strong in the Lord, and that shield is my protector. So the enemy can't just stab it whenever he wants. The Lord is my covering in that. And so whenever he tries, I say, no, Lord, you are my shield. You can't declare a promise if you don't know it. So if you don't know the Lord is your shield, the devil is going to stab you there all the time. But whenever you say, God, you are my shield, devil, you don't have rights in that area of my life. You cover it. And the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk as blameless. So when you are walking to the best of your ability in God's path, and you're saying, Lord, my life is yours, whatever you have, take it, lead me in the way that you want, um, the Lord will withhold no good thing from you. So those things that you are waiting for, while it may be a good thing, if it's not the wrong time, if it's not the right time, it would be a bad thing. So he's not withholding it because he wants to keep it from you and he wants to see you struggle. He's withholding it from you because if it was... If he gave it to you now, it would not be a good thing. And he is a good father, so he bestows good gifts to those who follow him. So until it is the right time, he will not bring it into your life. And it's not him being rude, it's him being good. Um, So the last one I want to go back to, going back to our things we wait for, um, and this one's very near to my heart, is healing. Um, Healing is something that I, I have a hard time with and that I'm working with the Lord with for myself. But healing is not always... Um, What we think it would look like and sometimes healings will come on the side of eternity But sometimes they don't happen here and there's that wholeness of healing that freedom from mental diseases from physical illnesses um, From pain from suffering when we enter heaven Um, So the Lord does bring healing, but it's not always how we look and my dad was um, pastor he said and so he um, started this church we moved to Florida. We have a church there. Um, and four years ago, he was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. And we had people prophesy that he would be healed, that he would live long, the sickness would not end in death, all of these different things. And there were moments when it seemed like God had healed him. But we got all the way to the very end, and one thing led to another, and it was a very fast ending. And my dad passed away a month and a half ago. And During that time, there was so much that was going on in my head of, God, I thought you would heal him. That's not what I expected. That's not what I wanted. I don't understand it. But coming to understand that when we wait for those healings, it's not always what we expect. But God is still faithful. He is still good. He is still true. And he has a plan that's bigger than ours. And We all die at some point. And so, what is the way that you can die with most impact? And where, if you're going through these horrible or hard things in your life, especially when you're waiting for healings, saying, God, if I'm going to go through this, let all glory come to you in this. And I'm going to live my life fully surrendered. And that's something that my dad modeled so well. And every season, in the last couple days, he's praying blessings over people who come to our house. And I remember asking him, like, Dad, how do you have so much faith right now? Like, you're literally on your deathbed believing for a miracle. But okay, if it doesn't happen, I don't understand. And he said, I know who my- I'm know who i serving, and I know where I'm going. Like I have faith. And so healing to say, Lord, I believe that your healing doesn't always look the way that I want it, but you are faithful and you are still good. Um, and knowing that true faith isn't saying, here's my petition, do what I want, or I'm out. It's saying, Lord, here's my petition, but whatever you do, I will still serve you. I will still trust you because you are good. Um, so, um, ending with the Proverbs, um, is Proverbs 16, verse 1. And it says, To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but the motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for day of disaster. So the Lord has control over all of it. And then verse 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So in life, we have plans, we have dreams, we have ideas, um, but it is the Lord who establishes those. And so to wrap it all up, I have an analogy that I have, I heard like four years ago, and it has been something that I have held really close to me, and it's the analogy of cupped hands. So um, in life, God gives us different dreams. He gives us different um, jobs. He puts different people in our life, different things that happen. And it is our our job and our choice on how we'll steward those. So we can live our lives with hands that are super wide open where anything he puts in, it just falls right out. We don't steward anything well. We're like, thank you, Jesus, and then it falls to the ground, and then it falls to the ground, and it falls to the ground. And we just have so much favor on our lives, but we don't steward anything well. But then you have those who hold their hands like this and they say, Thanks for the stream, God, now it's mine, I'll take care of it, you can move on, thank you for the stream. I'm going to do like Abraham and make my own way. I'm going to have my own, I'm going to figure out how to have my own kid, even though you promised me to do it in your timing. Or I'm going to figure this out. I, I dealt with this um, when my dad was was passing of, God, no, I, I'm holding on to these promises. This is not okay. Like, I'm holding my hands like this. This is this is mine. But the way to live your life is with cupped hands, where you say, God, what you take in or take out is totally fine. You can give it to me, and if you take it away, I will still serve you. I will still steward things well. So I'm going to live with cupped hands, open, wide, saying, Jesus, whatever you do, it's yours. Um, and with the dreams that God gives us, we don't know the times. We don't know the seasons. It could be something that God only gave you to talk about so somebody else could take it and run with it, like a shark dream. Um and so if you just hung on to it, you would destroy it. But you need to be able to give it away. Um, there are different seasons for different things. So living your lives with those cupped hands. Um, so on that note, um, I want to end with an altar call. if someone was come up to the keys and play a little bit. Um, set the mood, you know. But in life, um, I know that God has called different people in this room to different things. And we all have different dreams. We have different um, passions that God's given us. For me, I felt the calling for missions at a super young age. And that was a dream that had its ebbs and flows. And I believe that there are many people who are called to missions, but maybe that dream just seemed so outlandish or crazy that they've walked away from it. Or dreams of different business ideas that you've had that have just kind of died. And um, if everyone could just bow their heads and close their eyes for a second, I want you to think about that time when you were a kid or maybe you are a kid and you're thinking now about those passions that you had and those ideas and how as kids when you ask them what they want to be, they have a long list of ideas um, and different passions that God's given them. But sometimes as we get older they go away. And taking a minute to reflect on those and say, God, what are dreams that you've given me even long ago that I've let die because real life hit in and I don't think it's possible. So as we think about that, um, I want to take a minute. If you're in this room, um, with every head bowed and eye closed if you feel that maybe you've settled that that's a dream that um, that God gave you and you've just settled and you said you know what this land looks good I can make a life here I can raise kids here I don't need to do that Um, I just encourage you to raise your hand if you would want to raise your hands just as a sign not for anybody else around you but to say God I'm raising my hand to acknowledge I've settled and I'm done Um, maybe there are those of you in here who have dreams that you say you know what I've made my own way. I've said, "Okay, God, thanks for the dream, but I'm moving on." Um, if that's you, and you want to say, "God, I give you back that dream. I know that you can still fulfill a promise in it, but I want your dream. I want Isaac." If that's you, will you just raise your hand as a sign to Jesus that you want to keep stepping in faith in that promise? Uh, maybe you're in here and you have—you don't have dreams. You've been so—it's um, been so long. It's been. 50 years of waiting and waiting and waiting, at this point you've said, you know what, I'm just laughing in disbelief and I don't believe there is laughter and joy. Um, If that's you and you want to say, God, help me to laugh with joy and have faith like Abraham that God, you can fulfill this dream. If you just want to raise your hand as a sign to Jesus that you want to laugh with joy and not with disbelief. God, right now I thank you for the people in this room who have dreams and who have visions and passions. And Lord, I pray that you would stir fresh vision in this room, God. That you would stir fresh dreams. That, Lord, you would give people plans and ideas. And that, Lord, there would not be a season of doubt in this room. But that, Lord, there would be faith. That God, even though it doesn't look how we want it to look, God, you are faithful, you are true, you are a God of promise, and that you have us in your hands. And I pray that you would give us the perspective in these waiting seasons to not hate them, but Lord, to say who around us needs us in these waiting seasons? Who around us needs to know that God is faithful when it hurts? Who around us needs to know that God is faithful when it doesn't work out how it worked out? god i pray for fresh vision that there would be faith to say god i will step out when you call me whether that means leaving everything that i know everything that i have and traveling somewhere that i never thought i'd go whether that is saying you know what i'm going to start this because i know that god is true even though i don't have the resources and i don't know how it's going to happen i'm going to step out in faith god i pray for fresh passion in this room in the name of jesus and that lord as this song says when it doesn't work out how we want it to work when it doesn't look how it's supposed to look in our minds we would know as well because our souls are secure in you, Jesus. Thank you for your hands in this church in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're in this room and you want to spend some altar time, um, maybe you want to kneel and you just want some time between you and the Lord where you're giving it to him and you want to learn how to cup those hands, um, go for it. And if you want prayer, if you want to come and stand, I would love to pray with you and there are people um, on the prayer team who would love to come pray with you. But if we just want to spend a couple minutes, um, open up these altars to come say, hey, God, I've raised my hand and I've acknowledged it, but I need some altar time to really solidify that. You're more than welcome to come.